CTSnet friends, my name is Joel Dunning and this podcast aims to give you an intravenous injection of everything that's new and exciting in the world of cardiothoracic surgery this week. And this week we've got a really packed edition, some huge papers. We've got the world's first randomised trial of port access mitral versus stenotomy. We've got the AATS lung cancer guidelines, a huge tome that sets the stall for the next five years of lung cancer treatment, together with an interesting paper that sheds some extra light. On the videos we've got a mitral and ravage repair, uh, we've got an interesting step-by-step -step series about removing a cannula and Emily Farkas does a phenomenally great job of doing an interview all about humility in cardiothoracic surgery. So don't go away and let's get cracking with the CTSnet podcast. paper we've got for you today uh, is on our Jans news section on the CTS website and it is entitled mini thoracotomy versus conventional stenotomy for mitral valve repair a randomized clinical trial so yeah this is the world's first randomized trial of port access versus stenotomy surgery for mitral repair that is fantastic and it's been done by the wonderful professor Enoch Akoa from my very own unit in the UK now the UK is really well attuned to doing randomized trials in surgery. We just have lots of the ingredients that allows randomization, uh, which is really fantastic. We all work for the same team uh, and the NHS has a good uh, fund for this. So that's why studies like this are possible in the UK. And Enoch has a proven track record. He's already done a mini stenotomy versus full stenotomy for AVR uh, randomized trial called Maverick. And he moved on to this fantastic study. Uh, so this study um, uh, used 10 centres in the UK. They used absolute experts of port access mitral. I think you had to have 50 before you could join this. And different to their AVR study, where the surgeon either did a mini or a full stenotomy, because there weren't many really, really good port access mitral surgeons in the UK, they decided to say, okay, we're gonna randomize to a surgeon that does port access mitral or a surgeon that's expert in stenotomy and mitral repair. Uh, so uh, the other really interesting thing about this study uh, is that the primary outcome measure uh, is an SF36 physical function score uh, 12 weeks after surgery. So they asked the patient, how are you physically functioning? So that's what the NHS wants these days. Uh, they want a score that's related to the patient's outcome. Uh, so really, really novel, brand new stuff. I do encourage you to read the paper in full because it really is quite stunning. So it's from January 2016 to Jan to 2021. Uh oh, yep, yeah, right through the middle of COVID. Uh, poor team. Well, they, they really did a great job. There was a slowdown, but then they got their allocation. They got 330 people randomized into that study. 166 to the port access group, 164 to stenotomy. Amazing job, really, really well done. Um, so the outcome measures, so the outcomes were very good in both groups. So, so the SF36 uh, physical function score was really excellent in both groups. And actually there wasn't a clinically significant difference. But where this paper really comes in is that A, it proves that uh, port access mitral is completely as safe as open repair. You're not taking shortcuts, you're not doing bad repairs. 
B, um, it showed really good outcomes, you know, really low levels of complications. And C, it showed a very high rate of repair versus replacement. Uh, many studies show that the uh, repair rate is about 60% in national databases, but the repair rate was 96%. So this study shows if you take experts in their field, you can really get huge repair rates. So take a look at that really good study. If you do port access, it really does support that you can do it safely and get excellent outcomes and you can leave it to the patients. What would they like to have? Uh, great study. What do you think? Uh, if you could drop us a comment uh, in the comments below, uh, let me hear. Are you going to change your practice? Are you going to go back to synotomy? Are you going to go to port access mitral? Does this uh, relate to robotic mitral? Could that be better still? Who knows? I'd love to hear your thoughts. So the second paper we've got for you is the huge American Association for Thoracic Surgery expert consensus statement uh, on the treatment of lung cancer. Um, this is a really big document. Uh, it's They got a huge expert consensus panel going. It's a stellar list of everybody you've ever heard of in lung cancer. So Brendan Stiles was senior author. Uh, Biniam Kidane is first author. We've got Scott Swanson in there. Yeah, Landa Coulson, Tom D'Amico. Um, loads and loads of the, our very best people. So, so and they've done a huge job. They did loads and loads of chapters. So do check it out on the in the uh, JTCVS this month. Month, uh, published in June. Um, I think the basis of this guideline is the shocking fact, as they state in the introduction, that, uh, that even in stage one and two, the recurrence rate is 20 to 25%. So a quarter of your patients are, gonna are going to recur if you just do an operation, even at uh, the early stages. And then it says, you know, once you get to stage three, recurrence is 50 to 70%. So the overall message of this whole guideline, I think, is we cannot do surgery on our own. I think the days of saying to our patients, yeah, we're gonna operate and then you can go home, you'll be fine, are long gone. We are a multidisciplinary team. So uh, that is the tenant of it. So there was a huge amount of focus on neoadjuvant chemotherapy and immunotherapy. Um, interesting, they still say that uh, really lobectomy is still the gold standard. They did extensively talk about JCOG and CalGB. CalGB hadn't quite been published uh, when this went to press, uh, but they did say that below two centimetres there is an okay argument for sublobar resections and segmentectomies. And they did talk at great length about it. it's so important to get intraoperative frozen section to make sure that they're N0 because it is a big problem uh, if you have N1 disease and you don't do the right operation because the recurrence rates are so high. Um, so, so, and they said even with these stage one cancer trials that uh, you know, the recurrence rate still is very high. So they then went through Checkmate 816 and Iron Power 10, uh, looking at the now FDA approved uh, indications for neoadjuvant treatment. So, uh, and these basically are the studies that show that nivolumab and acetazilumab are both really, really important staples of treatment now. And really we are moving to neoadjuvant treatment. They did a really good job of summarizing how us surgeons are always really worried. Are we gonna lose our patients? Are they gonna be really difficult to operate? It was not borne out in these studies and they make some strong recommendations for moving towards neoadjuvant treatment with chemotherapy and immunotherapy followed by surgery. Uh, and these studies are really very impressive. They really do show uh, reduced recurrence rate. And Checkmate 816, for example, in that there was a 24% complete pathological response when you came to take the tumor out versus 2% 
if you if you didn't use uh, the immun immunotherapy with chemotherapy. So so they're really increasing disease-free survival in the groups, 36, 31 months versus 20 months. So these are really important studies. They're changing practice and these guidelines say you must change practice. So take a look at them. Uh, we now no longer live in a bubble. Uh, anybody from stage 1B with a, with a tumour bigger than four centimetres is basically going to have probably neoadjuvant treatment now going forwards. And these guidelines are there uh, to, to guide us. So well done, uh, Brendan Stiles and the AATS. And go check out the JTCVS this month for full details. The third paper we've got for you, again, uh, casts some interesting light on some of the recommendations on the AATS paper. It's called Wedge Resection versus Lobectomy for Clinical Stage 1A, Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer with Occult Lymph Node Disease. So Joe Chiqui selected this as the best paper of the Annals of Thoracic Surgery this month, so go check it out uh, on the AATS uh, um, Annals of Thoracic Surgery website. And this uh, paper comes from the Ohio State University Wexton Medical Center. Robert Merritt was the senior author and they went and analyzed uh, the National Cancer Database. And in that database, there are 5,437 patients with clinical stage 1A, um, T1 disease. And, and out of them, 2,800 were upstaged to N1 disease when they had their operation. Uh, and uh, and so those 2,800 had lobectomies and then another 128 patients that were upstaged had a wedge resection. And go figure, no surprise, but um, but if you had a wedge resection and you had N1, you did much worse than if you had a lobectomy. So now what does this mean? Well, firstly, this is a 5,000 patient database of clinical stage one disease. So um, that's, that's a big group. And out of that 5,000 patients, 62% had occult N1 disease. 62%, 62% of people you thought were gonna be N0 were N1. That is huge. Uh, interestingly, 37% in that database that were clinical stage 1A had N2 disease. It shows the absolute vital importance of lymph nodes. Um, there is a mantra in thoracic surgery that uh, thoracic surgery is a lymphadenectomy with a lobectomy at the end. And I think this paper really shows how important those lymph nodes are. And again, if you're going to start doing segmentectomies or wedges for very early cancers, you have to do um, you have to do interoperative frozen section of those N1 nodes because you do not want to get it right wrong. This paper is basically saying if you get it wrong, you're going to get much worse outcomes. Uh, so it was uh, if you had a lobectomy with N1, you had 70 month uh, median survival versus 36 percent if you only got a wedge. So you really are harming a patient if you haven't done a lobectomy with N1 disease. So really interesting. Uh, I think uh, we're all learning how to balance uh, our sub-lobar resections in fit people versus lobectomies. Uh, and these two pay papers really do provide us with a lot of guidance. So with that, uh, I'm going to hand you over to CTSNet to see what's on the website this week. Submissions are now open for CTSNet's annual innovation video competition. The competition rewards surgeons at the cutting edge of cardiothoracic surgery with a $1,000 cash prize, a prominent feature on CTSNet, and an exclusive interview with the judges. Submit your videos showcasing creative solutions, novel surgical approaches, and technological advances in CT surgery by August 31st, 2023 for a chance to win. 
For more information, visit ctsnet.org slash innovation video competition. Okay, so we've got three really fantastic videos for you this week on CTSnet. Go check it out on our front page. The first one uh, is an interesting one because uh, how often uh, have you had somebody needing heart surgery that also has pectus excavatum? Uh, well, it's not quite so rare really. It does happen occasionally. And, uh, and I think the wrong answer is to do nothing about it. And there's a beautiful video about how you can do combined surgery. So um, this is from Emory University. Joshua Rosenblum and Maureen McKiernan uh, submitted this brilliant video. And, uh, and this is about a mitral valve repair in a 13-year-old patient who's got Marfan's. So uh, in this uh, video, they show us the operation in beautiful detail. And basically, they start the rabbit repair. They take out all the costal cartilages, third to the eighth on the left-hand side. Uh, they remove them. They then cut all the muscle and then they insert the retractor between the sternum and those stumps to provide a really very good view of the mitral valve. Uh, and it's all shown on the video. They do an annuloplasty, then they do a sutured repair uh, of the valve. Of note, the Haller index of this patient was 30. Uh, actually, looking at the uh, the picture they provide, it looked like the sternum was almost below the uh, vertebral body, so that would actually give it a Haller index of infinity. Uh, but take a look at it. I mean, it was unbelievable. This person was seriously severe. You could not have not done the ravage operation. Uh, but anyway, they did an anoplasty ring. They sutured a cleft in the posterior leaflet. Then they found there was a little bit of residual uh, leak on testing. So they did an Alfieri stitch uh, in this patient. Got really nice results. Very nice. And then uh, once they wean off bypass, they then continue the ravage repair. They do a horizontal uh, osteotomy. They use a plate uh, to straighten the sternum and then they use a biobridge underneath uh, the sternum to hold that above. I wish I could get one of those biobridges. They're not available in Europe, uh, but they're really effective things they absorb in two years, by which time this kid's uh, chest will be solid. So lovely job, really interesting. And if this you ever presented with a case like this, uh, do consider doing combined surgery, but uh, I'd be interested to know your thoughts. Maybe you should be doing a nuss after um, this, or maybe a rabbit is best. What do you think? Uh, pop your answer below. The second video we've got is in our step-by-step -step series. CTSnet are trying to create a set of really interesting step-by-step -step videos, you know, quite basic procedures or, or usual or common procedures that you can go straight to as a really interesting resource uh, for you. And this one is from Paul Modi, an absolutely fabulous surgeon from Liverpool in the United Kingdom. He is our most established port access mitral surgery and he's a robotic mitral surgeon as well. Uh, but in this video, he shows us a step-by-step -step way of how to insert and remove uh, their SVC cannula. Uh, the really interesting thing about this is everything they've stopped doing over the years, because they've got really good at it, because they're doing it all the time. Uh, and they said they no longer have an assistant or scrub nurse for doing it. They just do it themselves. Um, they get rid of the long guide wires that come in the dilator packs. They now use shorter wires. Uh, they don't use the dilators anymore because the biomedicus cannula has a dilating tip. So they just use that to dilate straight off. Um, and they don't vary the depth anymore. They just bang it to 12 centimeters because that reliably uh, sits at the tip of the SVC uh, and is above the chip with clamps. So I thought that was really interesting. The other really interesting thing is on removal, they don't press because they think that press pressing the internal jugular on removal leads to thrombus formation. All they do is snug a purse string and leave it. 
Um, there's a little bit of a hematoma, they say, but it's much better than pressing. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, well done, team. A really good video. Nice and quick. Uh, definitely worth 10 minutes of your time. The third video we've got for you is an absolutely wonderful video uh, from Emily Farkas and Loretta Ehemwesi. Um, this video is all about humility in cardiothoracic surgery. And if you have 10 minutes in your day, any time this week, I strongly encourage you to go and have a look at this because it really is fantastic. Uh, Loretta actually presented this at the AATS and, and gave a speech on humility and what is all this about. Well, it's all about listening to your patient. What is the background of the patient? Are you going to do an operation on this patient who may not have the a background to recover? Uh, a really interesting discussion was had about uh, female patients that come who don't speak native English and their, their husband's doing all the talking for them. Uh, should you accept this? Should you not? And they give a really interesting discussion about this. And, uh, and so it does bring up some really interesting things, listening to your patient, knowing their background. And the other thing is, what are their expectations? Um, there've been lots of studies about people having CABG surgery electively. Uh, most patients think they had their lives definitively saved by that operation. But did they really, did the patients really understand that in many cases, there's only perhaps a 5% five-year mortality benefit for elective CABG? Um, and uh, does your patient understand uh, if they're having an asymptomatic mitral repair um, early uh, that, that this is not necessarily life-saving? They do have other choices. Uh, so, so yeah, documenting this and understanding what your patient understands I think is really, really important. And this video did a great job of showing all that. Well done to fabulous Emily Farkas and Loretta in that video. So those are our uh, servings for you. Uh, I thought they were really, really interesting. Now there are some really good events going on around the world. Um, so let me tell you about some of these. So in Halifax in Canada, uh, they're having the third Heritable Aortic Disorders Symposium. This is run by the Genetic Disorders Association of Canada. And actually it's quite interesting because it brings together clinicians and patients uh, in a, in a two-day conference in Halifax, uh, all about aortic conditions. And it uh, looks like it's really interesting. It's going to be really good. It's on the 24th and 23rd of June. And check it out. It is in person. Uh, so you would need to get there, but it should be pretty good. Really interesting uh, aortovascular symposium is going to be held in Barts on the 29th and the 30th of June. It's called the Barts Symposium 900. And can you believe that Barts Hospital is 900 years old this month? Uh, and uh, to commemorate that, they're having a series of very impressive symposiums. And this one couldn't be more impressive. So for aortic disease, they've got Joe Kisseli, Michael Border, Martin Cerny, Duke Cameron, uh, Ung U, and, uh, and John Yap. They've got some amazing stellar people doing some brilliant talks. Uh, again, you have to be there in person, uh, but I'm sure it will be very much worth going there for this uh, in this amazing August Barts, which is 900 years old. And finally, uh, a really interesting and novel uh, thing going on by EACS is EACS Case Corners. Uh, they're doing a completely online virtual courses, and this one's on June the 29th. Now, you can submit a, a, a case if you like. Um, the residence committee will select and see if your case should be discussed. 
and uh, and they will discuss these uh, on June the 29th. The other really nice thing is it's only a tenner to join. And if you do two sessions, uh, the second one's a fiver uh, and and so on. So, so it's really cheap, it's really good. You'll get your cases talked about and it's all online. So check that out at uh, EACTS for uh, Aortic Dissection Case Corner. So we move on to our last two topics. Uh, the first one is where's Diego? Diego, the world roving surgeon, teaching the world to do thoracic surgery. Where is he this week? Well, this week he's traveling around Germany. Uh, he's been in Karlsruhe uh, um, and some other centers as well, doing loads of uniportal vats and rats. And, uh, and I think he's in Germany for a couple of weeks now because he's going to be at the Potsdam uniportal uh, conference the week after. So well done him. And finally, our honourable mention goes to Tom Varghese and David Cook. Um, I've been loving uh, their fantastic STS podcast called Same Surgeon, Different Light. Uh, they're absolutely wonderful. They get back under the skin of the surgeons you've already heard of. They talk about their background, how they've grown up and their views on life. They really are wonderful. They're definitely worth 20 minutes of your time when you're out running on a weekend uh, or driving to work. They've done some really stellar interviews. They've had Daniel Molina, Mark Oinder, Joe Chikwi, Sarah Pereira, Bartley Griffiths. Uh, really amazing, stellar people. So check that out. And well done, Tom Varghese and David Cook. You guys are heroes this week. So that's all we've got time for uh, and thank you for making it all the way to the end uh, of this podcast and if you have any thoughts or suggestions do, do get in contact. Uh, we're getting suggestions all the time uh, so if you've written a paper or you want us to talk about something just let us know and thank you very much uh, from myself Joel Dunning and everyone at CTSnet. See you next week on the CTSnet Beat podcast.